Welcome to Pharmacy to Dose, the Critical Care Podcast, a partner of the ACCP Critical Care PRN and a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And I'm your host, Nick Peters. Wherever you are and however you are listening, thank you. Now, this is the trial of the week where I review a landmark trial that was published this month in medical history and phenobarbital in alcohol withdrawal is a very hot topic right now and there's one prospective trial that is frequently referenced uh, published in 2013 in the Journal of Emergency Medicine. We're highlighting the phenobarbital for acute alcohol withdrawal syndrome with pharmacist author Joseph Lamb. So, uh, we set the scene with Joe. We talk about what the treatment of alcohol withdrawal syndrome was like prior to this study. Joe's role in the study itself. He takes us behind the scenes, which is really cool. Uh, then we go into the details. Uh, we review our trial of the week, um, talk about pertinent findings, things they might have done differently now, and then closing with where are we now? How did this trial ultimately change what we do? And then what research do we still need to know on this topic of phenobarbital in alcohol withdrawal. So let's get going with our first September 2023 trial of the week. And very thankful to be joined by our guest today, Joe Lamb. Now, Joe is a critical care clinical pharmacist at Highland Hospital in Oakland, California. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day. Joe, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm really excited. You know, this is, I mentioned in the intro, this is such a hot topic. Um, it's cool to talk to someone who's on one of the the biggest, um, most robust studies into this. So I want to kind of set the scene with us here. So in the years leading up to this trial, right, which would be that, that 2007 to 2009 timeframe, how did we typically treat alcohol withdrawal, right? Was barbiturate therapy routinely part of the treatment algorithm at that point? Um, so the benzodiazepine um, has been the first line therapy to treat alcohol withdrawal. So, um, you know, a lot of providers use diazepam, lorazepam um, uh, to treat alcohol withdrawal. Um, and then around that time, there were like a couple uh, preliminary studies. There's some efficacy of phenobob. Uh, and in our hospital, uh, before our study, uh, we used the phenobob in more like a symptom-guided way and usually we use like a small bolus of like 65 milligram or 130 milligram. So you mentioned that there was like some small data, but prior to this study, was there any, you know, prospective or other randomized trials that were looking at the use of barbiturates or specifically phenobarbital in alcohol withdrawal? Um, so prior to our study, there were not, uh, um, mostly a case report and then retrospective analysis. Uh, there was one randomized study, but it was not like blinded to. So our study is, uh, it was like the first one, like prospective, randomized, double blind, you know, producing some, uh, high quality, uh, 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 evidence for the use of phenobar for alcohol withdrawal. So, uh, before our study, there was like a couple notable ones, uh, kind of inspired ours. So, and there was a one like a prospective core trial of like 62 patients. Um, in that study, uh, the patients were using phenobob 
260 milligram IV up to a mean loading dose of something like 598 milligrams. And then there was a randomized but non-blinded, non-blinded trial of like 37 patients. Uh, in that study, they were comparing the sodium uh, versus the phenobar. And then there was a, um, a retrospective cohort trial for like 54 uh, patients. Those patients were using diazepam and then an escalating dose of phenobar, uh, like in 65 milligram and then 130 milligram and then 260 milligram and to see whether the phenobar can reduce the need for mechanical ventilation. And then there were uh, obviously a couple other case reports too. So again, ours was the first prospective randomized double-blind trial. And definitely some of the highest quality evidence up to, up to that point and, and still to this date. So Right, right. I asked you to join as you are the, the sole pharmacist author on this study. So let myself and the audience know, like, what was your role with the study design and execution? Take us behind the scenes into kind of what, what you did and helped with with this, uh, with this RCT. Right. So I'm, I'm the, actually, I'm the pharmacy member of our uh, hospital ILB. So um, just like any other ILB members, we have to making sure that um, the study protocols need to uh, optimize the benefit and then minimize the harm uh, to the patient. And so in this case, this, is a, this was a placebo control trial. So, um, you know, our ILB has to making sure that, you know, the alcohol withdrawal symptoms for patients um, randomized to the placebo arm, they need to get addressed too. So, um, so in this uh, study, both the uh, uh, phenobarb arm and then the placebo arm uh, patients, they also they all receive like a benzodiazepine, uh, lorazepam in this case for the alcohol withdrawal. And then uh, I also making sure that you know all these inclusion exclusion criteria, drug stability, those things they are all reasonable. Um, and and then also um, I also come up with like a, uh, we we make sure we have a plan to deal with in case if there's any like phenobarb overdose, what we have to do though, something like you know we have to come up with the instruction of like uh, urine alkalization to promote the renal excretion of the phenobarb in case there's an overdose, and then of course if the patients develop any uh, respiratory depression, uh, my medical colleagues will probably intubate the patients too. And then, so secondly, and then, um, uh, you know, the pharmacy here is involved. We have to prepare the drug like 24-7 in a pretty timely manner. Uh, we try not to delay the whole process, you know, uh, giving a hard time to my medical colleagues treating the alcohol withdrawal patients. So, um, so I need to also instruct other pharmacists too and uh, in case when I was off too. So I come up with some very simple and easy instructions uh, for my colleagues, and then I create a dosing sheet, make sure that um, the weight-based dosing go fine because um, the phenobarb injectable comes in like multiples of like 65 or 130 milligrams. So just making sure that the dosing sheet, you know, the dosing calculation is easy for my colleagues so it won't cause any time delay though. And then when we receive the uh, drug order, so I make sure that, um, you know, we receive a uh, sign consent form if it's available. In this case, this study, you know, because these uh, patients um, may not be um, able to, um, you know, uh, to 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 proceed with the sign consent. So uh, I'm also making sure that if there's no sign consent form, I'll keep track of like 
you know, make sure we uh, receive the post-waiver consent form later too. And then, of course, we make sure that patients did not meet any exclusion criteria. And then after that, then the pharmacy will uh, randomize the patients to either the treatment arm or the placebo arm. And then we have to uh, making sure we compound the, uh, the study drug in a timely manner. So a lot is what I just heard. You were doing a whole uh, lot uh, with this study. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, mainly like behind the scenes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, right. That's how anything gets done is by awesome behind the scenes work. And clearly that's what's, that's <laughs> right. what's happening here. Um, so, right. And, but it's kind of fun too, actually. A hundred percent. And, uh, I like that you pointed out that it was 24 seven as well, because I think that's important to note, like doing this on evening and overnight shift where typically staff and things are greatly reduced. That's just a testament to, to the training. And then, uh, you know, everyone's buy-in, um, in the institution at the time. So that's awesome. That, that's that's correct. That's correct. So I I, I I always I have sympathy for my um, colleagues like working like alone at night too. So I making sure my instructions are very easy, simple to follow, and then I will keep like telling them or keep governing them, making sure that there's no uh, any like difficulties, you know, during any like randomization or preparation of the medication. Yeah. As a night shift veteran, I can say we certainly always appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) so let's get into the trial itself, right? The trial of the week, um, published in March of 2013 in the journal of emergency medicine. Uh, the study is entitled phenobarbital for acute alcohol withdrawal, right? A prospective randomized double blind placebo controlled study. So like the study said, right? It's our gold standard study design in a single center emergency department in California, and all adult patients with suspected acute alcohol withdrawal syndrome were evaluated by the uh, enrolling kind of EM provider from January 2009 through March 2010. So like Joe alluded to in the beginning, patients were included if they were on that institutional-based alcohol withdrawal protocol with benzodiazepine treatment. Sounds like lorazepam was probably the, the workhorse at that time. And patients had an anticipated need for hospital admission. So two key exclusion criteria, a severe hepatic impairment, which makes sense from a phenobar perspective, and inability to get IV access. Now, patients were randomized to receive a one-time dose of phenobarbital, 10 mg per kg, or placebo. Now, 198 patients were randomized. 102 were included in the final analysis. With the primary exclusion criteria being the alcohol withdrawal was not the primary admitting diagnosis. Um, most patients were male in their late 40s. Around 60% required a higher level of care, right? It wasn't just a standard classic med surge floor bed. And the primary outcome was the level of hospital admission from the ED. Where did they go when they got admitted? So Joe, come back. Highlight anything I may have missed, and then uh, let us know what what were the pertinent findings from this study. Right. Um, uh, actually, there's one more exclusion criteria. So, which is like patients like uh, allergic to the uh, medication that we provided during the study, which is like lorazepam, phenobarb, or if they have any like cross reactivity to like phenytoin or carbamazepine too. So, in terms of like the primary outcome, just like what you said, the main primary outcome was the initial level of uh, hospital admissions from the ED. Uh, in this case, it's based on the provider judgment. Though. And then other uh, outcomes we, uh, our study looked at uh, include 
like the use of lorazepam infusion, total amount of lorazepam used per patient, and then length of hospital stay. And then this study also examined the adverse effect uh, uh, that happened during this study. So uh, the adverse effect actually uh, were intubation, uh, seizures, uh, uh, need of uh, mechanical restraint and uh, bedside sitter too. Uh, and then uh, the scoring system used in this study um, was called uh, ATWA, um, uh, which stands for Alcohol Withdrawal Clinical Assessment. And then the sedations, uh, we use the sedations uh, scale score. Um, uh, the ATWA score uh, actually is, uh, is an abbreviated version of the CWA score. Uh, the ATWA score widely used in our hospital around that time. And then it's a six parameters. Uh, rather than like the, the 10 parameters of the CWA score. And it was like developed by our ICU, um, uh, doctor, uh, at that time, uh, to, uh, hopefully to, you know, develop to simplify and facilitate the whole evaluations of the alcohol withdrawal. Uh, but, uh, I just need to mention that, uh, however, the validity and the inter-rater reliability of the, uh, ADWA score was not validated. So. Um, again, in contrast to other, you know, phenobob study, ours was one of the few that was like prospective, double blind, and placebo controlled trial. So again, it provides some really quality evidence uh, for the use of phenobob. Uh, I just would like to um, highlight two things about this study. So again, you know, and the primary outcome, uh, which is the which was the level of hospital admissions from the ED, was based on uh, provide a judgment, not based on any like objective criteria, like something like uh, the alcohol withdrawal score, something like oh, if the patients like develop um, CWA score of like let's say severe alcohol withdrawal CWA score more than 19, or in this case we use the ATWA score. In this case, which means ATWA score above 10, something like that. Uh, and then the other thing is, um, um, so again, you know. Uh, the ATWA score that we use in this case, uh, which was a rebate version of CWA score though, so, uh, but it has not been validated. But it was widely used around that time though. Um, but anyway, despite the above uh, limitation, and I still believe that uh, overall this study provides uh, strong evidence favoring the use of uh, front-loading phenobab for uh, alcohol withdrawal. So this was a study with patients in the emergency department, right? And emergency medicine providers were assessing patients, not only for enrollment, but where they ended up getting admitted to, right? So was right. there any was there any type of training or education needed prior to this study? Or were these types of patients, um, you, you know, they had no uh, lack of experience in treating alcohol withdrawal? Uh, most of our ED providers, they are all pretty uh, experienced in treating the alcohol withdrawal patients. Um, but for this study, the most important monitoring part is uh, because we are giving the front-loading uh, phenobob in addition to benzodiazepines and other sedatives too. So um, our providers have to make sure that they observe the uh, mental status and then the vital signs um, during the study. Um, because you know the phenobob can cause oversedation, uh, respiratory depression, hypotension, or bradycardia, though. So uh, they just have to keep an eye on all these things, though. And um, 
yeah, so so otherwise they are pretty much very familiar, quite familiar with uh, treating the alcohol withdrawal patients. So where did the idea for the 10 mg per kg phenobarb dose come from? Because even in the studies that you highlighted, um, it sounds like it was different than the than kind of the the small bolus dosing scheme that we're used to that we were used to seeing before this. Right, right. Um, just um, prior to our study, the dose of phenobarb used it varies from like some uh, symptom driven symptoms driven like a dose of like uh, 130 milligram or 260 milligram or like what I mentioned before, like uh, some people um, give like 260 milligram up to uh, like half of the dose that we give in our study. So it varies. So, so in, when we design our study, so uh, we kind of extrapolate uh, from the usual loading dose range uh, of phenobar for uh, seizures. Uh, the range actually uh, go from 10 to 20 milligram per kilogram. And then due to like concern of the risk of like, again, over sedation or respiratory depression, especially in the setting of uh, like concomitant sedatives. So uh, we opt for the uh, low end of the range. So that's how we come up with the, just the 10 milligram per kilogram. So did you expect these results? Was anything surprising as you as you guys reviewed this data once you once the results were kind of all compiled, you were getting the manuscript ready? Um, in terms of the benefit, um, so since um, um, I there was like you know uh, other studies and uh, retrospective study or case uh, series showing the efficacy of phenobarb uh, in terms of reducing the utilization of benzodiazepines. So I kind of expect that our study will show the uh, similar benefit. Um, I think what I found to be slightly surprising was the safety of this uh, front-loading dosing. Uh, again, you know, we were concerned that, oh, you know, giving phenobar in this case, you know, a uh, 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 front-loading dose of 10 milligram per kilogram, we would like increasing the risk of over-sedation and respiratory depression. And then luckily our study, um, uh, even though our study did not report any like uh, uh, over sedation or respiratory depression, uh, our study did not report like any falls or mortality in either group. Uh, also, the if you look into the study, the results, uh, the percentage of intubations in uh, either the uh, phenobarb group or the placebo group, um, they were not statistically significant uh, different from each other. So. Proof that it's safe, even though I'm, I was, um, I'm still a little bit surprising too. Maybe could be, maybe because our study um, may not be big enough, I guess, maybe not have enough power though. But I still think probably the risk if the patient, you know, hasn't been exposed to the phenobarb like recently, um, the front loading of like uh, 10 milligram per kilogram um, should be feasible and safe uh, most of the time, yeah. So kind of looking at from the study, kind of where are we now? So mentioning again, these are ED patients and you work in the ICU, right? So after the results yes. of this study, did you see more patients coming up to your ICU after receiving phenobarbital or maybe more patients receiving the larger dose? Or what was the impact that you saw downstream from this, from this study at your center? Um, most providers, they are pretty comfortable with um, 
giving a front-loading phenobab uh, for mainly for severe alcohol withdrawal patients. So, so usually um, most patients, they would start with, uh, like uh, in our hospital, the benzo that we use uh, uh, is uh, lorazepam. So usually they give a lorazepam, and then, you know, if the patients still have like severe alcohol withdrawal symptoms after that, usually they will um, just provide like a um, front-loading phenobab. Um, the dose that they use is pretty similar to what we have in the study, and some may even go beyond that. Uh, some of the providers, they may even go to uh, approaching 15 milligram per kilogram too, right? And, and yeah, so I would say most of the providers still, uh, they are pretty comfortable, especially after, you know, our study. So based on the evidence we have, right, this study and some of the others, what, in your opinion, what do you think phenobarbital's place in alcohol withdrawal therapy is? Do you think it's that upfront dose? Do you think it's just for the critically ill, somewhere in between? What's kind of your perspective? My, my first choice is still benzodiazepine uh, because it has more evidence uh, for alcohol withdrawal and then has a wider therapeutic index than phenobob. Uh, on the other hand, I think this study and other studies shows that phenobob dose, um, I think in this case, like a front-loading dose, 10 milligram per kilogram, is an effective and safe option uh, in, in, to control, like mainly I think it's more like a moderate or severe alcohol withdrawal patient. And then it will be a very um, safe option uh, in like a ED or ICU setting. Um, and then also it's very effective in reducing the utilization of benzodiazepines or other sedatives too. So as we're as we're talking, it's the it's the tenth anniversary of this trial, right? Published in twenty thirteen, right. September. It's twenty twenty three now. Um, so, right. what answers do you think we still need research wise as it relates to barbiturates and alcohol withdrawal? So, I think uh, for me, I would like to find out, like you know, for patients with only like alcohol withdrawal. Um, so, um, I think. Most providers are pretty uh, comfortable providing uh, uh, a front-loading or even just a phenobarbital. And uh, because, you know, from our experience, most of our experience, you know, shows that it's um, very effective in reducing the need for, like, uh, benzo or other sedatives. And it's safe, though, in, in uh, like, an ICU or ED setting, though. Um, I think the questions that I have then will, will be, like, should phenobarbital actually replace the benzodiazepine as the initial therapy, um, you know, because it can quickly, um, you know, calm down the patients and then, you know, reduce the need of, like, more benzo. So um, if phenobarbital is used to replace the benzodiazepine, uh, what would be the safe and effective dose to be used in all settings, in all, like, alcohol withdrawal patients? Um, should we just stick with, like, a small bolus? Um, because in case if they don't transfer to ICU, or maybe this is just an ICU drug or ED drug uh, that, you know, we have to give a, a, a higher dose of 10 milligram per kilogram and, you know, better to be monitored in the ED or ICU setting. Um, so I think our study didn't, didn't go into details or, you know, um, didn't have enough patients and so it's not uh, powerful enough to detect any like incidence rates of over sedations or respiratory depression too. So I personally would like to um, kind of know what's the 
no matter how low it is, so what's the incidence rate of over-sedation and respiratory depression due to the phenobar when it's used together with other sedatives um, for alcohol withdrawal? And then also, you know, I would like to, because our study, again, the primary outcomes is looking at the uh, level of emissions based on the um, provider's, um, you know, decisions. So I would like to see whether, you know, um, if we look at the, you know, the level of emissions from ED based on some objective criteria, uh, what will be the outcome? It will be very similar to what our study find. And so in this case, so we'll be better informed uh, about the true, the, you know, the real efficacy of the phenobarbital. You know, I think on the other hand, as a IRB member myself, I think, you know, with quite a lot of evidence nowadays showing the efficacy of phenobar. And I think a, fin- uh, a placebo controlled trial uh, may put the alcohol withdrawal patient to some uh, unnecessary risk of undertreatment, though. So I think a placebo controlled trial may not be feasible, though. Um, and then on the other hand, also, you know, um, in terms of the treatment for alcohol withdrawal, I would like to see also some high quality study of use of other medications like ketamine. Uh, very pro to treat uh, the alcohol withdrawal patients too. Lots still to answer, but your study certainly did a, a huge job in getting the discussion started. Um, it's crazy this was 10 years ago, but um, yeah. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for coming on, highlighting this awesome research. Thanks for all you do, um, and certainly appreciate you taking the time to take us a little bit behind the scenes of, of uh, your study looking at phenobarbital for the use of acute alcohol withdrawal. So we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Another huge thanks to Joe. Uh, Please let me know your thoughts as always at pharmacy to dose, TO to dose, uh, or via email pharmacy to dose at gmail.com, the website pharmacy to dose.com. Smoke signals, whatever. Reach out. Let me know what you're thinking. Um, Reference list with, uh, of course, the trial of the week link as well as a couple of those articles that we um that joe mentioned are going to be in the podcast episode description as well as pharmacy the website on that reference list and until next time i'm nick peters and this is pharmacy to dose the critical care podcast QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based care in clinical practice so check out read for easy access to research personalized for you. Calculate for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools and learn to earn CME online in minutes per day. Try them today at qxmd.com apps. Again, that is qxmd.com A-P-P-S. The Critical Care PRN optimizes drug therapy outcomes by promoting excellence and innovation in clinical pharmacy practice, research, and education. For more information, go to critprn.accp.com. Again, that is critprn.accp.com. The podcast provides general information only does not offer individualized medical or professional healthcare services, including pharmaceutical advice. The contents and materials in the podcast are not intended to be a substitute for inpatient pharmaceutical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Use of the content and materials on the podcast does not constitute a pharmacist-patient relationship. As a result, the information in and materials linked to this podcast are applied at the user or patient own risk. Users and patients should consult their physician or personal healthcare professional. Users or patients should not ignore or delay seeking care because of something they heard on this podcast. In case of an emergency, the user or patient should contact their physician, call nine one one, or go to the nearest medical emergency facility. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and should not be interpreted to reflect the official position or policy of ACCP or the critical care PRN.
ACP and the critical care peer end disclaim any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or any other damages, including without limitation, loss of profits arising out of any use of reference to, reliance on, or inability to use the podcast, its contents, and materials.